Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Eric, good show today. Uh, this Thursday, we are going to go into a deep dive with Jackson Gardner of KookFan.com of 24-7 Sports about the Washington State football game this weekend. Cougars come down to, to Eugene. 7.30 kick on ABC at Autzen Stadium. Ducks looking to improve to 5-0 and in conference play. Um, pre- pretty remarkable run for them. Washington State is trying to salvage an 0-3 start. They won uh, in, in conference play. They, they won their, their first Pac-12 game this past weekend against the Colorado team, looking to get number two, looking to extend the win streak to number against Oregon to five, uh, end Oregon's playoff hopes. Uh, obviously, Oregon's trying to just keep those alive. So we'll speak with Jackson just kind of about this Washington State team, but before we bring Jackson on, we probably need to address the breaking news that happened before we, uh, or after we recorded our, our Wednesday podcast, uh, and that was uh, Tuesday night. Brendan Schooler was put into the NCAA transfer portal. It was a pretty big shocker, right? I mean, I, I, I don't, I think there's a lot of guys on this list that we have that we keep privately of. Hey, this guy maybe uh, could could transfer. I don't know. I, I think Schooler was really far down that list of guys that you know in our in our minds of potential transfer candidates. Uh, he was not near the top of that list. Not at all. And frankly, when I saw our colleague Kevin, who we should credit for breaking the story or for being one of the first people to report it, I was shocked by that news. You know, the timing of it. We should start by saying that the timing of it makes a lot of sense from a personal perspective uh, for Brennan Schooler in terms of he transfers now. He has, he, you know, he could use 2019 as a redshirt year because he only played in three games. He could play, he could technically have played another week if, if you really wanted to. But I guess if you're considering transferring, I don't know why you postpone doing so. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it makes sense because he, he now has one more year of eligibility. He can transfer somewhere, play his final season somewhere else. Uh, Matt has a great story up on the site discussing kind of the details of the transfer um, and kind of why it makes sense from Schooler's perspective and kind of why... You know, these new rules that have been implemented uh, make it so a player like him can transfer, maybe should transfer. Um, and so there's some makes sense. There, but from just from like a just a knee jerk gut reaction, I was pretty floored by this decision. He's a guy who's been kind of that consummate team guy his whole time at Oregon. He's made contributions every single season, whether it's at safety as a freshman or um, eventually at wide receiver the last two plus seasons. So. Uh, didn't expect this to happen. I think this is a, a, a bummer of a deal in terms of this is a guy who we were expecting was going to, you know, go through senior day festivities in about a month with his teammates before the Oregon State game. Um, instead, he's no longer practicing with the team from what we understand and is is no longer part of the team and will not be taking part in that. And for a player who kind of gave a lot and and who was a part of kind of that transition from the down years at the end of the Helfrich time to to kind of the elevation to where the program is now he's somebody that is going to be missed and I think it's just selfish I think if you're an Oregon fan or, or even if you're just in the media like someone like myself uh, I, I think it's a bummer that he doesn't finish at Oregon um, now in terms of what's the impact on the receiving position um, I think the fact that he sought out a transfer at this stage of the year sort of tells the story he, he was not somebody who was really going to factor into things very much now he did have two catches he had one on the opening drive against Washington that helped set up 
Spencer Webb's touchdown. I think the catch brought them down quite the 15 yard line. Um, and so it's not like he wasn't playing at all, but he was clearly somebody who'd kind of fallen behind some other players. So it, it makes sense. But again, I think just the through line for me is it's a bummer that it took place like this. Yeah, it, it's. I I have no blame to Brendan Schooler at all, and and we don't we don't know um, we don't know all the details yet. I mean, Cristobal, all he would say this week was he's elected to, to grad transfer to redshirt and that they support his decision and that they have to move on. That's all he would really say. I mean, he was asked a couple follow up questions about it and basically every answer was we have to move on you know and i think you know in in reality and i think it's safe to assume he's probably a little frustrated at at how this played out not necessarily at schooler you know for wanting to you know have his senior season end right because look no one expected their senior year going into a huge season like this at oregon to suffer an injury and then your role diminish because you have to you have to miss all of fall camp you have to miss the first four games of the football season and quite honestly, you know, like Johnny Johnson's kind of elevated himself into the role that he is. Uh, Jalen red is Jalen red is a guy that you have to, you know, keep on the football field and, and Ryan Addison and Micah Pittman and Juwan Johnson, you know, those guys have, they have stepped up and, and, you know, they've seen playing time and it's not like, you know, a guy that hasn't been hurt, a guy that's been hurt like a Pittman or a Johnson. It's not like they've been out there astronomical amounts of time compared to Schooler. You know, it's the guys that are healthy. And unfortunately for Schooler, you know, his season, his senior year didn't go the way he wanted it to. And he's been, you know, he probably wants a redo. But unfortunately for Oregon, he probably came to to the Ducks and explained his situation. And they were probably like, well, Unfortunately, we can't because we've allocated your scholarship to somebody else already. Like we've already given that scholarship next year for somebody else. And if if we take you, then that means we have to go and tell a freshman that he's not now coming to Oregon because we don't have room for him. And there's there's no win-win for Oregon in that way. And and I also want to say, like, I 100 percent am on the side of the player here. You know, if, if he wants to, to redshirt and he wants to, to redo his senior year, you know, all the stuff that they have to give to a program, he has he has that right to do so. Uh, it, it's just unfortunate that, you know, the circumstances that, that are, that he won't be able to do it at Oregon because Oregon's also making the right decision. One year of, no offense to Brendan Schooler, but one year of Brendan Schooler next season is not worth saying, no, you, you cannot come here now to, to Johnny Wilson. Or to Chris Hudson, uh, two four-star receivers that are committed to Oregon, or another player uh, that that's on the roster on the committed roster for 2020. It's just this is the I, I guess the, the the crappy part of college athletics is that Schooler has meant so much. I mean, he's an emotional leader, a team leader of this group, and he wants a redo, but Oregon can't do it because for the the program's long-term success and health, one player doesn't. What, no matter who it is, one player doesn't override the importance of the entire program. I guess just one last thought before we transition over to Jackson. But just from a personal perspective, this is a bummer because Brennan Schooler was one of the you know one of my favorite guys to talk to on the team. Always handled himself well. Always right. was somebody I enjoyed speaking with. So just from a personal perspective, I hope it doesn't get lost um, that that he's a great young young man who I think is going to do a lot of great things wherever he ends up. But 
uh, just thought it was important to say that, you know, when, when we're, it's kind of a weird deal being in this business sometimes and we get to build relationships with players and, and coaches and stuff. And, and sometimes when a player leaves like this or, or even like even seeing Jacob Breland, who is another guy I always love talking with go down or Cam McCormick, you know, for the rest of the season or in Breland's case, the rest of his career, it sort of stings just on a personal basis because you kind of miss those once or twice a week where you, where you go talk about, you know, the game with them or, or kind of whatever else is going on. And, and obviously, Schooler's a player who, who means a lot to this program, but also to, uh, well, there's a leaf blower, so that's going to maybe I- impact our uh, audio here. But uh, sorry, there's somebody doing some leaf blowing in front of my house, so. That's unfortunate. But uh, live podcasting, what are you going to do? But anyway, yeah, just last point. Just uh, it, It's a bum deal for a lot of reasons. All right, let's bring in now our guest for this week's show, Jackson Gardner of KookFan.com. Jackson, thanks for coming on with us this week to uh, help us dive into Washington State. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's let's just kind of look at this Cougar team and program in a bigger scope here. Yeah. Um, Washington State's been one of the better teams in the Pac-12 in the Pac-12 North uh, over the last you know three or four seasons. And, mm-hmm. and this year they've they've already lost three games and yeah. league play. They sit at the bottom of the North in the standings. I don't think really anyone was expecting that big of a drop off, if any, in mm-hmm. the previous year. What what just hasn't clicked uh, for this year's team that did in in previous years? Well, I think they're really starting to see uh, the fall off of not having Alex Grinch as the defensive coordinator. And I know Tracy Clays did 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 a good job in 2018, but I think you you still saw the uh, you know that that uh, rub off that that Alex Grinch had, and and 2018 was great, but 2019 it really slipped off, and the defense has has really been the problem for for WCU this year. The offense has been fantastic. Anthony Gordon has been has been great. He's, I, I think he has about seven, seven interceptions. So, um, not, not bad, not great, but you know, still when you're leading the nation in passing attempts, seven is, is not a bad number, but really I think the, the struggles this year have started with the defense and, and just an inability to, to create turnovers, to, to do anything to, to let the air raid do what it does and outscore people. You, you can't let um you know, a Jaden Daniels at ASU go toe for toe and, and, and not uh, force a turnover or anything like that. So I think that's probably a large reason why we've seen the fall off so far. It's it's sort of unusual, Jackson, to to have a defensive coordinator resign midseason, like mm-hmm. you mentioned Clay's did. Um, and it makes sense given the fact that against UCLA, they gave up 67 points and then 38 to Utah, and, and then he took off after that. Uh, what, what have you kind of seen from this defense at, since then? Has there been market improvement? Are there things they're doing differently? Or kind of what's been the general vibe about, I think it's Rock Balantoni, I'm reading that. Balanto- it's yeah, yeah. He's, um, I, you know, I think there were some fundamental disagreements. We've seen a couple players move positions. Skylar Thomas, who was their nickelback, he's moved over to strong safety. Uh, the former strong safety, Daniel Isom, has moved over to cornerback. You had a cornerback move into the nickel. So there's a lot of guys who seemed like they were not playing in their natural positions, uh, that they were kind of moving people around to try and service depth needs. And now you, you kind of have people moving back to positions they played in junior college or positions they played in high school, or maybe they came to WSU and were originally playing that position. So getting back to something where you can be a little more reactive, play play quicker, not have to think as much is what I've heard from a lot of players. 
because that's really what we hear from them, just an ability to be playing faster and not having to think as much. And and Mike Leach also reiterated that point of of simplifying the defense. So I th- I think that's what they've been trying to do. You know, I don't know if we've necessarily seen that happen. I'm I, I still hold out. Uh, I'm kind of I, I wouldn't say skeptical, but I'm I, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic about uh, WCU's performance after. Uh, Colorado, where they held them to 10 points and forced three interceptions. So it was it was positive to see that uh, from a WCU perspective. But I don't know if doing that against Steven Montez is where we say, okay, they've really turned a corner here because, you know, obviously this week they're going to be facing some much stiffer competition. I was going to, just to follow up on that, I was mm-hmm. going to ask about that Colorado game, you, you mentioned a lot of the, the stats there in terms of forcing turnovers that only mm-hmm. allowing 10 points is a big improvement. Were there things that you saw there that, that you, that, I mean, obviously you say you don't think fundamentally it, it's a corner being turned, but were there things yeah. that you could be kind of optimistic about what's going to happen down the, down the stretch? Here? I think they, so. Yeah. I think a little bit, I think probably some more, cons- some better consistency, uh, you know, the week, week prior in, in air with Arizona state, we saw WSU kind of, you know, really take life in the first quarter, the, the defense that is, and then just sort of flatline for the rest of the game. Colorado, you saw much more consistency throughout the game. They were rushing the passer through four quarters. Um, you know, they're creating turnovers throughout the entire game. So there was much more consistency across the board, which was positive to see. Um, but again, you know, I don't know if it's all put together, you know, just because you go out and, and pick off, you know, Steven Montez three times and he's had, you know, his struggles with taking care of the football this year. And so has Colorado in general. So, you know, it's it's tough to say where they really are right now. But I, you, you certainly feel, you know, in terms of where you what you get to feel like you, you feel good because it, it's been pretty poor, I believe, uh, north of 140 points in three weeks. So, you know, not ideal. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, not, not not ideal. That's uh, putting it lightly. Yeah. Here uh, with, with Jackson Gardner of Kookfan.com. Um, Jackson, I'm, Washington State at, at quarterback with Mike Leach at the helm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, every year they're going to have one of the best quarterbacks from a statistical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Luke Falk and Gardner Minshew were guys that. I think we're able to get away from, oh, he's just a system quarterback. You know, he, yeah. he's, you know, those two guys you could legitimately say were, you know, two or three of the best quarterbacks in a conference, just even though they, you know, even though their stats were skewed a little bit just because of how much they've thrown the football. I'm, I'm curious just with Anthony Gordon, is he in that same vein of a Lou Falk or a Gardner Minshew in that, yeah, his stats are gaudy, and yeah, uh, he's putting up good numbers, but some of that's dictated by the scheme that they run, or is it truly an indicator yeah. of the talent that he has uh, at that position? I think he probably lies somewhere kind of more as the guy that Luke Falk got pegged as. And, and you know, we we heard that a lot early and, and kind of midway through that his junior year, I'd say, his Luke Falk's junior year, he definitely got the talk that, no, this isn't the Mike Leach quarterback who is that system guy. But then his senior year, people kind of really, fl- it really, f- the flip script or the, the script flipped, excuse me. And, uh, 
you know, he, he kind of did get that peg and then we saw him drop way down in the draft of the sixth round. And, uh, but I, I just think that Anthony Gordon, he, he's a fantastic quarterback. He does everything that's asked for him, but physically he doesn't impress you that much. Uh, he's probably a guy who relies on the intangible rather than the tangible. Um, and those are not things that, that bode well when you, when you're kind of projecting to the next level, you know, that's not what, what gets you, uh, a first round draft label, you know, they want to see arm talent. They right. want to see the, you know, the measurables, stuff like that. And, and I don't know if Anthony Gordon has that. I will I say, would... Oh no, go no ahead. what was that? I'll just go ahead. Okay. I, I will say, you know, other than an, a moment here or there where, where he would like to have some moments back, he is a great decision maker. He, he does not put the ball in areas that are, are in risky situations he takes care of the football for the most part, and so I think scouts who who watch him closely will at least like that. With regards to the offense, just in general and conference play, obviously when you play once you enter conference play, you're, it's I think it's pretty natural that your stats are going to go down a little bit just because mm-hmm. of the increase in competition. Um, there's no one on this planet that's going to blame the offense for losing to UCLA. Uh, you know, they put up 63 yeah. points. There's no reason you can you can justify that they didn't do enough to win that game. What was the difference I, then against Utah when they just scored 13? And then ASU, they scored 34. And that's kind of in that fringe area where you're mm-hmm. like, hey, like this does not fall on, on the offense because they scored 34. Yeah. You should be able to win. Is, is this offense just – was Utah just a one-game issue or – was there some stuff in the ASU game too that that they struggled with? Um, I think well for both of those that Utah and ASU games, uh, they were out. They were without Brandon Arcanado, who has been really a tremendous slot receiver for WSU this year. Who's kind of replaced Kyle Sweet um, at that Y slot receiver. So that that was certainly uh, you know they they missed him, but I don't think that was necessarily the issue. I think really with Utah. You know, you had a game that that the momentum was clearly not with WSU for a second of that game. Uh, the defense was struggling mightily, and I think the offense lacked a lot of confidence in that game. And I mean, not to and that Utah is you know a tremendous defense and a tremendous team overall. You know what you're going to get out of Utah, uh, and I think they kind of just smacked them in the mouth a little bit, and they kind of curled up into a ball and didn't really fight back in that second half. Uh, and you know, maybe that was a good lesson for them because we haven't really seen that. Um, we didn't, we certainly didn't see it at ASU. That was a pretty, pretty good game, a pretty solid performance from the offense throughout. Although there were a couple fourth quarter drives where you really would have liked to seen, you know, WSU go take that second, that two score lead and then really kind of put that game away. It just didn't happen. Um, or, you know, get the stop to let that happen. But, uh, I think really the offense has not been been the issue at all. You know, there, you know, maybe they've been missing a guy here or a guy there, but uh, it's really if they can get this defense to to work out and just get some, you know, some sort of stop from from the defense and be able to force some sort of turnovers, then then the offense will usually do its part. Where, 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 you mentioned missing a guy here and there, you know, mm-hmm. injuries in the past. Where, 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 what is the injury update right now? Is there are there guys that are questionable for this game that we should know about? Are there players that have already been ruled out? I mean, is, what's no, the, actually, I this is. Report? 
I would say that you know WCU is as healthy as they've been. Um, they 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 haven't had Jameer Calvin for the entire season, who is another slot receiver who who they really like. But just getting Brandon Arcanado back, um, and then you know lines healthy. Uh, they they were without their their fullback for a little while. Fullback, um, which which they they, they, they have a fullback. <laughs> they they use him. Well, they he's. He's built like a fullback, I'll say. He they just got him back. His name's Clay Markoff. You won't see him too much. He may get a handoff or two, um, but not not as not a game changer, I should say. Uh, but I mean, yeah, no, I would say the Cougs are remarkably healthy coming into this week. They they are not without too many um, on the offensive side. Speaking with Jackson Gardner of Cougfan.com, take we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Austin Audible's podcast. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm at Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And this week we have Jackson Gardner on of Cougfan.com, part of 247sports.com, mm-hmm. uh, getting you ready to go for this Washington State-Oregon football game, kickoff 7.30 on ESPN Saturday night from Odson Stadium. Um, Jackson, Washington, Washington State always has – uh, really good wide receivers, uh, mm-hmm. and they usually have more than two or three. Um, yeah. But I, I'm I'm really intrigued at Max Borgi at running back. Mm-hmm. Seems like when when he does well, um, the entire offense does well. And you know, looking at Washington State stats, I mean, they might have a year where they have a running back run f- for their career, you know, season high of 500 yards. Yeah, yeah. And he's already got 500 this season. Yeah, no, he's uh, God. He's the first running back to have three hundred yard rushing games in a long time. Uh, I think it's like it's like two thousand six, something like that. Yeah. So I mean, he he is so sneaky good and just so lethal when when he has the ball in his hands. Uh, you're you're really right when when he gets the when he gets things going and and he is able to you know to create get in space and get the ball in his hands whether it's in the run game or in the pass game, WSU's offense just flows better. And they stay on pace. They stay ahead of the chains. And everything just flows better. And I think Anthony Gordon started to realize that a little bit more. We saw Max Borgie get a career high in touches last week with 21, uh, which is, cr- I mean, for some teams, that is just crazy to think that yeah. if you have a star running back, his career high in touches is 21. Like, But that's just, that's the nature of, of how Mike Leach sees sees the distribution of the football and what what that accurate actually means to have a balanced approach. But I mean, I would suspect we're going to see something in the 18, 19, maybe 20 again, because that, you know, that seemed to work for them last week. Maybe he tries to go back to that again. I could also see that Oregon has has done their homework, you know, there's no shortage of WSU coaches standing on that sideline <laughs> and uh, knowing that, you know, they're going to try and get the ball to Max Borgie. So I, I definitely think you're going to see Oregon keying in on him a ton. Uh, but where he's also going to hurt you is he's incredibly proficient in, in the pass protection game as well. Uh, when he's not out on the field, he, he is uh, checking. He's getting blitzes checked and, and, you know, he's really keeping Anthony Gordon standing up to go find uh, his other receivers. So he does so much for that offense and, and so many number of ways that, you know, he is, he is probably, or I mean, not probably, he is the best player on that offense, arguably the team. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I just a couple of questions on the rivalry from your guys' perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oregon had won eight straight coming up to 2015. Washington State's won four in a row. You mentioned there's some uh, coaching overlap. You know, I think four straight years Oregon has taken a coach off Washington State staff. How, how is this considered? Mean, because traditionally, this wouldn't be necessarily considered a rivalry, even though it is. You know, states touching each other. Yeah. There just isn't. What's kind of the feel up there about this this game? But not even just particularly this weekend's game, but just these matchups in general. Is this well, considered? Yeah. What's the perspective up there? Yeah, I think I think it's you know rivalry might be a little bit of a stretch, but I, I mean certainly it's a game that people look forward to every year, and right. you, you know it. They've been fun games from a WSU perspective. You know, I'm from some weeks for. Or for some years for Oregon, I'm sure it's it's kind of been a pain in the head. But, you know, for them, I'd say at least two of the last four years where WSU has won, they were compelling games. Uh, and particularly last year, having that being uh, the game college game day coming to, to Pullman, which was such a big deal for the Pullman community. And, and having it, you know, playing Oregon in that game and beating them, that kind of left a, a lasting, you know, kind of fingerprint on on the Oregon WSU matchup. Uh, but I also think just because, you know, just the status of the schools that, you know, Oregon, I, I always like to refer to Star Wars where like, you know, Oregon is the empire like that. They, they Darth <laughs> Vader. He they, they have the money. They have everything, you know. And WSU, they are the rebels. They are the ragtag group of misfits. So, you know, that's the way, that's how WSU really sees this game. That, you know, we, we have every, every reason, everything should suggest that we should lose this game, but yet we keep winning it. So I think people are really enjoying it right now. But I, I mean, in terms of animosity, it, I, I, you know, I have a brother who is on the University of Washington coaching staff, and it, it's nowhere near. Uh, what it is like for University of Washington, Oregon. But I, I do think people really look forward to this game. You, you say, I, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, I was just going to say, just to follow up on that, just to, you say people always look forward to these matchups. And I think it's, I think that's not necessarily the case in Oregon side, because like you said, Washington State's got the better of them. Is there a lot of optimism, both internally, but then also just from like the fans in the community that, that the street can get to five, which I think would be, uh, the the best win streak in th- Washington State history yeah. over Oregon. I think there is, and, and why I think that is because we are very, or or Washington State fans are very familiar with that feeling of uh, not being able to get that monkey off your back. And of course, I'm referring to the Apple Cup, where they can't seem to beat University of Washington. <laughs> right. It's been six years, and but they know what that feeling is. And, and when you go into a game thinking, you know kind of applying that hype and saying we, we gotta we gotta beat them we've never beat them you're you know you're subconsciously constantly reinforcing the idea that you've never beat them ever and it almost it it almost hurts you more than it does than it helps you so I think there is kind of an optimism from WSU side that Oregon is experiencing exactly what they experience on Apple Cup week uh, so I think that gives a lot of people hope I mean, personally, I'm I'm pretty skeptical. I think this Oregon team is mature enough. I don't think they're going to let some of the mistakes that that hurt them in years past hurt them again. I think Justin Herbert's going to take care of the football that um, he hasn't seemed to be able to do that in years past when he plays Washington State. I just don't 
think that this defense that Washington State has will be ready for for what Oregon brings to the table. And that is, you know, one of the best offensive lines in the country, you know, great skill around Justin Herbert and, and a fantastic quarterback. I just don't think they have enough to to affect Herbert the way they have in years past. Looking at, at this game, um, what what do you think are the keys for Washington State? Or, like They have to do mm. these things to win this football game, and then they can't allow Oregon to do blank uh, if they want to win this football game. What are, what are those things that, that just has to go I, Washington well, yeah. State's way? Well, I think, first of all, I think saying what WSU has to limit Oregon from, I think that you just have to completely throw that out. That's that's completely out of the equation. Having WSU preventing, it's all about what Washington State can accomplish because I don't think there is anything that Washington say, hey, if we can prevent this, then, then we have a shot. I don't think that's even a possibility. But with that being said, I think staying ahead of the chains, that's going to be huge. You know, not giving up sacks, not uh, not having to work from second and third and long. I think that will be huge. And, and that's going to help Max Borgie get involved, too, because when you have him third and long and, and you know you just have to defend him in the flats and, and out of the backfield in the passing game, that makes it much easier for the linebackers. Second, I would say WSU has to be able to force some sort of turnover, uh, whether that's, you know, forcing a fumble or somehow creating an interception off of Justin Herbert, which, you know, like I said, I'm I'm fairly skeptical of that happening. Uh, and then third, let's see. I think, you know, it, it's kind of touching on on the, the first point, but I, I think, you know, finding being creative with Max Borgie. I think they have to be able to figure out ways to get him the football that they haven't necessarily done in, in the past, because, you know, like like we were talking about earlier, there's it's no secret that he is uh, the best skill skill player on that offense and they're going to be trying to get him the football. So I, I certainly think that they have to get him the football and then maybe sort of as, as a consolation, you know, figure out how to get Aesop Winston in, in man to man, one-on-one situations. Cause if they can do that and they can get Aesop Winston in one-on-one situations, he wins a lot of those. And I think he can do that even against a, a really good Oregon secondary. I think we'd be pretty remiss if, if we didn't ask you, what is it like to cover a Mike Leach coached football team? You know, I just think I get asked that a lot and I just think you really never know. And, and that, you know, seems seems very trivial, but you just never know what you're going to get. Uh, <laughs> I and, and this week is a, is a fantastic example. Uh, you know, he was ranting about how, you know, how he can't. He just doesn't understand how everyone is so surprised that Oregon is is so good and that they get, you know, five star recruits and they're so good. And, and for, I mean, first of all, no one asked him about this. He he just <laughs> kind of went off. He was asked about he was asked about, you know, what it's like having his, you know, his former coaches on the other side and, and started talking about how surprising it is or how surprised he is that people are surprised that Oregon is good. But everyone's just sitting there like Mike who is surprised that Oregon is good? Like, I don't know where this is coming from. Like, were they not picked to win the North? Like, were they not, you know, I feel like everyone has kind of been on the same page that Oregon is, is going to be pretty good this year. Uh, so, I mean, you just like the things that he will choose to, you know, 
to kind of just riff off of, I, it, it blows me away. And to be honest, I don't know how it surprises me anymore, but he still somehow has a way uh, of surprising me with it because, you know, it's never, you know, there's only one question a week where someone will actually, you know, intentionally get Mike Leach talking about like raccoons or, you know, how much he hates golf or, you know, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. But the rest of them are legitimate questions, like football questions that he just, you know, finds some way to riff off of it. And I, I you know, you love it. It makes the job a lot more fun. It, it makes it easier too when, you know, you get, you have that to, you have that kind of material to work with. I, I should be thanking him for it, you know? What do you think there's some, I, I don't know what word to use. Anger is not the right word, but frustration maybe that Oregon, you know, continually goes up there and hires an assistant coach away from Leach. Is uh, he, do you, do you see like, do you get a sense that he's, that's maybe, added no, fire I think, the- I think he's probably used to it at this point. Not, and, and I mean, just in terms of the idea of having coaches, being taken from him since he was at Texas Tech. Like, you know, you know, go look at, I, I think Bruce Feldman has wrote about this, uh, that like you go look at that original Texas Tech staff that he has, players and coaches included. I mean, you have 20 plus coaches right now. Uh, and through his, you know, eight or nine years at Texas Tech, he had so many coaches get taken. Uh, same, with, uh, same with WSU. So, He's very conscious of it. That's why he doesn't have an offensive coordinator anymore because they just kept being taken. And he was like, what's the point of having to replace this every year when I could just do it? And then I don't have to worry about having to replace the OC. So that's why he doesn't use an offensive coordinator anymore. Um, So he's kind of built his own ways to work around it. And I think he is much more flattered by it as he was asked about it this week. And he did seem to kind of give a very, you know, he poked some fun at Oregon saying, you know, they should call him and, and see if he needs help with that and see if he needs, they need help with anything else, stuff like that, kind of poking some light fun. But uh, so I don't, I don't think it really bothers him too much. Uh, I think there are some fans who, who get agitated by it. You know, it's kind of like the, you, you know, big Oregon, just throwing your money around, coming to take our, sure. you know, efficient coaches. I think that, but you know, who, who really cares about that? That's when you, when you do have big money, that's what you do. You go pay people, you know, that's, that's why you have big money. Right. Right. Well, we really appreciate your time coming on the show. Are you coming down to Eugene? Ah, uh, you know, I won't be, unfortunately. I really, I, I tried to make it happen, but uh, just didn't happen. This is this is the one road game that I will not be at this year, uh, which is unfortunate because it's such a big game and, and it's such a fun one too. But yeah, I love Autzen. I've actually, I've been plenty of times. Actually, when I was in high school, when I was a sophomore in high school, Oregon uh, was interested in me as a football player for a brief second, uh, just oh, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I came down there for their for their camp and they worked me out a little bit. But uh I love Autzen. It's a, it's a great place, and I'm I'm really bummed I'm not going to be there. But I'll well, be tuning in game, for sure. Hopefully, this game uh, lives up to the billing. I think, from an Oregon standpoint, obviously they need a win in a bad way. Washington yeah. State, same way as well. So, hopefully, this game produces a, a good outcome, entertaining mm-hmm. outcome. Uh, and and we really appreciate you coming on the show, giving us some of your time to to preview this game. Yeah, it was my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thanks again to Jackson Gardner of KoogFan.com for coming on, giving us a really good preview, uh, an in-depth look uh, into the Washington State football program. 
so we want to thank him again for, for coming on the show. Hopefully, Duck fan gets a little bit more prepared for Saturday night's football game. Uh, interesting comments, Eric, ab- about uh, the injury status. I, th- I think it's, you know, obviously Oregon knows about injuries themselves, but, you know, I, I was not aware, actually, that uh, Arcando had, had been out for a while, and, you know, he... I knew he was a good time player uh, for the Cougars, but um, him him getting back will will certainly be a game changer or at least an impact uh, for this football game. And then obviously stopping Max Borgie is is going to be important as well for Oregon's defense. Yeah, I think that was maybe, and I'd seen the stats obviously with Borgie and, and how much more involved he'd been running the football and having a Washington State running back with three 100 yard games is like mind blowing. I'm still I think having a hard time wrapping my my brain around that. He also said they had a fullback, which I was like, my gosh, what 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 is going on over there? Um, but yeah, I, I think I think stopping Borgi and, and just limiting his touches and, and how and his involvement in the game probably becomes something that I'm going to probably include in my five keys on on Friday. Not just because of everything Jackson said, but I think I probably would have already done it. But I think that just kind of re-solidified how important 100%. it is for for having an answer for him. Because look, he's only a sophomore, probably going to be a four-year guy at Washington State, and it's going to be a name that I think Oregon fans are going to have to know. Uh, pretty well over the next couple of years. And frankly, go watch some of the highlights. He's he's a dangerous guy. He's going to be a tough person to stop. There's no question about that. I don't think we've done enough discussion um, or, or brought it up enough that there's so many coaches that have come from Washington State that are now at Oregon and the familiarity that comes with that, right? Like, is that, are you going to buy into that as a being a uh, an impact player here? Well, I think Avalos was asked about because they've added Ken Wilson and, and Joe Salavea and also uh, Jim Mastro, but obviously that's an offensive coach. But Avalos was asked specifically about Wilson and Salavea and and how that might impact them. Is that a is that a big game changer? Is that a positive? And he said, yeah, maybe. But he also said, or, you know, Washington State's changed a lot of its offensive staff too, so there's been changes there. Certainly, it doesn't hurt, and, and we should say I, I don't think even if there are changes to the staff at Washington State that that offense isn't going to look too much different. You know what right. I mean? Like they, they kind of are what they are. And maybe they involve the running back more like the podcast, like like it sounds like, like what Jackson said. But I think at the same time, this is still Mike Leach. We, you know, you know what he's going to do. And I think one of the things with Mike Leach is like, I think everybody kind of knows how he's going to attack a defense anyway. And it's kind of like go out and figure out a way to stop it. So I don't even know necessarily if just like having staff members that are more familiar with what he's done is a huge game changer just because look, like I think, going into every season, you're pretty aware of how he's going to approach things. And, and kind of, the, I guess, the, the method to his madness is it doesn't really seem to change too much from season to season. So certainly it doesn't hurt to have people with familiarity there and kind of understanding what kind of a coach he is, maybe, uh, you know, when he might take a gamble here and there, those kind of things. I don't necessarily know if it's something that is a huge game changer. And, and who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe after the game and Avalos and Cristobal will all say Ken Wilson played a huge role <laughs> this week in doing it maybe maybe i'm just you know naive in it but my sense is that it's not going to be like one of these like massive game changers sure and also mike leach basically being the offensive coordinator um yeah, that, that was interesting yeah uh, and how they've been able to kind of handle that i mean that explains a lot and i think i think you have to credit washington state some of their offensive success to the fact that you know their head coach is the guy that's running the offense. I mean, obviously, Crystal Ball's running Oregon's offense and whatnot, but you know he has some other people that have you know inputs into it. And basically, Leach is 
you know, the guy that's making the suggestions and making the final you know decisions on what what's happening with the offense. I think that's another just interesting wrinkle into this football game as well. I will be interested to see Oregon's defense in general. I think and I think Jackson's right to a certain regard in terms of like this game is going to be one when Washington State has the football. Um, I think Oregon's offense and you just look at the statistics for Washington State's defense. This is a this is maybe the worst defense Oregon has faced all season. Like Oregon's faced maybe it kind of gets lost in here, but Oregon faced like three really good defenses in his first four conference games. Yep. Stanford, Cal, Washington, all really good defense. Colorado, not very good. And you saw what Oregon did to them. Washington State's defense, at least statistically, is in the same kind of range as Colorado. In fact, they're worse in quite a few categories. This should be a game where Oregon scores. And I know we're going to get more to our predictions and that kind of thing down the line. But just worth mentioning, I think I think Oregon's going to find some success offensively. I think they're going to score some points. I agree with Jackson, though. It comes down to can Oregon stop Washington State's offense? Can they Can they find ways to manufacture pressure? Can they stop that pass attack? Can they stop a run attack that's getting a little bit better? Um, to me, that's where the game's going to be decided. Again, we'll talk more in depth later in the week. But um, I, I think talking with Jackson and, and, again, looking through the numbers more, it, it becomes pretty clear that this game comes down to Washington State on offense, Oregon on defense. And whoever wins more of those battles is probably going to be the one that wins the game. Yeah, like like Eric said, we'll, we'll have a full preview uh, on Friday. But just real quick, a, a, one stat to throw at you. Uh, that goes in line with what Eric says. Um, Washington State leads the conference in passing yards and from an offensive standpoint, and Oregon's defense is uh, number one against the pass uh, yeah. in, in games played this season. And then you look at um, a standpoint of running the football, Washington State's 10th in the league uh, in stopping the run. Um, they, they've allowed over 1,200 yards of total offense. They're uh, just about 100 yards worse than what Washington is. So I, I think that I, I, I think this, like you're right, the, the game boils down to the yin and the yang of, of Washington State's passing attack against Oregon's passing defense. But another storyline is going to be if Oregon can run the football and, and kind of shrink the game a little bit, not more so because they're afraid of Washington State getting the football, but just that that eliminates you know their you know their best strength their offense of being on the football field if you can run the ball. Um, let's go back to Brendan Schooler real quick here. Yeah. How does in your mind this impact Oregon this season, and who does it impact the most? You think? I think special teams is maybe where I'll start. Um, this guy, this is a guy who was a special teams first team all-conference guy the last two years, right? And you remember just – they used to give out that big, like, wrestling belt. Maybe that wasn't a for that season. But I just remember him always having that belt when they would come onto the field um, because he was so dynamic there. And I don't want to, like, eliminate his receiving contributions because I don't think that's fair either because he is a guy who's, even this season, in limited opportunity, has proven to be somewhat valuable there. But I really think in terms of somebody in kick coverage and punt coverage um, – he is very, very valuable in terms of getting down the field and making plays. And I don't know if – I won't say Oregon doesn't have those guys because I think, frankly, Steve Stevens has been great in that area. Brady Breeze has made plays. Daywood Davis has made some big plays there. Uh, Hockey Woods has too. So they've got guys who can do it. But Schooler was just such a high-caliber guy. And, you know, it, it, you know, if you force a fumble on a kickoff, that can flip a game. And having a guy like that who's capable of doing that is is critical. And then in terms of, I guess, just the offensive side of things, I don't know if this is like – Maybe I'm overlooking Schooler's involvement, but I don't necessarily know if this is a huge thing. Like, 
Herbert's had some pretty good passing games the last three games with Schooler back, and Schooler was kind of limited in his involvement. I don't know if he was somebody who was going to have a five-catch, 80-yard game this season. I just think maybe there were there's better guys on this roster. He's been passed up. Exactly, exactly, and that's kind of the way to say it. I think he kind of got passed up. And so from just an offensive side of perspective, like I think you could point to playing time for, for why he decided to transfer, and I think that should probably give you a per, pretty clear indication, at least from where I'm sitting, that at least from an offensive perspective, I don't think this is a massive blow. Uh, I think they've still got the guys to do it. I think you're going to see an even larger role for Micah Pittman going forward. We saw that, kind of what he can do in the open field against Washington, I think. Uh, Brian Addison continues to be a very good blocker. Uh, we'll probably see both of those guys get a little bit more of an uptick. And then Jawan Johnson's the other one, right? I mean, we haven't – he didn't have a catch against Washington. He'd had two against Colorado, also dropped one that would have gone for for six. But uh, I, I think there's going to be a time this season where he becomes pretty valuable, and, and I still think that's somewhere on the horizon. Maybe that's this week against Washington State. Who knows? It's going to do it for us on the Austin Audibles podcast. We really appreciate you guys – uh, continuing to listen to this, the, the the downloads, the listens, they continue to go up month after month, week after week, day after day. Uh, so we thank you for that. We thank Jackson Gardner from kookfan.com for coming on the show as well uh, for today's preview of the Washington State Cougars. And for tomorrow, stay on the lookout. Friday morning, we will have the podcast up and running for your final preview of the Washington State game, score predictions, keys to the game, and also our bold predictions of some individual things that could happen in that football game. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Bream, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.